0: I want to uh, be very careful with this. I spoke in Denver in August, and uh, after I finished speaking, this little white haired old saint came up to the podium, and I thought she wanted to ask me a question. And uh, as I bent over to find out what she wanted, she practically grabbed me by the tie. And she said, Listen, Buster, I couldn't couldn't hear anything of what you had to say because I didn't adjust this right. Can you hear what I have to say? Thank you. Let's go to the Scriptures. Now, I'm going to be... I won't be blitzing through this exactly, but I'm going to give you the Scriptures, and then I'm going to deal with them. First of all, 1 Timothy 4, 6-9. through 9. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives fables, and exercise yourself rather to godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance. Hebrews 5, 12-14, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, And finally, Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, seeing we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, these are the things that, there are certain elements in there that I, I want to talk about today good doctrine carefully followed, exercising yourself to godliness, by reason of use or practice, developing discernment, running with endurance. And I want to place them in the context of what I'm going to speak about today and Wednesday, and that is how they relate to preparation for success in the marketplace. Now, it's interesting that I'm here for this because, you know, as Dave said, I have five children and a common refrain in my house is, Mommy, what does Daddy do? What does he do? Wednesday, I'm going to be speaking about preparation for success in the church. And you're going to see, I believe, as I go through this, how these things relate to both the marketplace and the church and a reflection of what Dave had to say earlier. So this is going to be two days of pep talk, exhortation, encouragement, admonishment, counsel, and perhaps a holy goose or two. Now, that's like a holy kiss. So, but first my background. Now Dave told you a little things about me, some few things, and it's good to make a uh, start off with a good impression. So I want to start off with something that I'm proud of. I happen to be the uncle of Doug and Joy Lotz, who many of you know. Right. And I say that not just because Doug's loaning me his truck for uh, while he's in school. And if you know his truck, you know that may be a mixed blessing. But uh, it's not a mixed blessing to me. But there are more important reasons for me mentioning them. If it weren't for they and their family, I wouldn't be standing here before you It was through them that I was led to the Lord. Not just me, but my wife and so forth. And uh, I have to tell you this, it was not, well, maybe they can tell you, it wasn't exactly an easy deal. I had a, my whole family had a very devout Catholic background. I got away from Catholicism, but they, particularly my sister, came to the Lord came to know the Lord. And they wanted to share that with me and my family. Particularly, we didn't—we had no children then, so it was my wife and myself. And I say it was kind of a tough nut because I like to argue about religion. And we got into debates. They would quote the scriptures. I would quote the scriptures. Of course, they said I was quoting from the book of Hezekiah. Check that one out. And I would quote scriptures such as, "Well, God helps those who help themselves." Book of Hezekiah. No, it's the uh, it's the Gospel according to Ben Franklin. It's Poor Richard's Almanac, which I did look up by the way. Now, they decided that debating wasn't the thing, and what they decided to do was go to their knees, intercessory prayer. But there were other. There was another little thing. It wasn't a little thing. I remember some 15 years ago getting a long-distance phone call. And on the, the voice on the, end of the, line, or the other end of the line was, a, I believe, a four-year-old. And her words to me were, Uncle Tommy, have you accepted Jesus into your heart yet? Now, what are you going to say to that? Get off my back, kid. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that to my niece. And I didn't say that. And let me tell you what impact that has. You can debate and you can deal with certain things, but you can also, every time the phone rings, think, is that joy? They have blessed me. They have blessed my family, and they continue to be a blessing to my children. Now, I, want, I started off with them because I want to relate to you. I want to give you a little bit about my background, not what... Dave had to say, but my academic background. I think this will, you'll will relate to this. I attended Ohio State University. I received two degrees. My father, whose perceptions were, I believe, un, sometimes uncanny as fathers can be, he liked to tell people that I was majoring in polar studies. And what I want to do today is discuss my major and I'm sure there are some of those out some of you out there that are majoring in polar studies. Can you raise your hand if you're majoring in polar studies? You're kidding. Kidding. Oh, well I'm not talking about polar like in north polar or south polar. I'm talking in polar as in P O L R, an acronym. And it means the path of least resistance. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands about that, but we're just going to go on with this. But what do I mean by that? Well, my undergraduate studies at Ohio State were not exactly challenging. Well, they were in in some ways, but uh, it wasn't exactly a demanding curriculum. My undergraduate degree is in industrial design, but it was in the School of Art, not in engineering, so although it still could have been challenging. I had courses like... Pinch Pots 101. You know what pinch pots are? If you take a course in ceramics, you begin with a piece of clay and you pinch a pot. You make it. I had sanding 103. Now, I'm serious about this. Sanding 103. That was learning how it was a sculpture course and it had to do with really bringing the most out of a piece of wood. Okay. I also developed strategies. Strategies according to the polar mentality. And that was how to get by. I remember an art class that I had that nobody could get an A in there because the instructor was tough. And he wanted you to know that his course was a tough course. But I started getting A's. And how was that? Well, I recognized that the colors that he was wearing, he wore quite a bit. And my artwork tended to begin to reflect the colors that he was wearing. And he would say, hey, nice colors. Okay. Now, even so, I had professors in design who were from Europe. And these guys I would call fundamentalists they were their methodologies were terrific they wanted you to get back to the basics they wanted you to question everything industrial design if you don't know it's designing products and when you were going to design a product you were to design a pro- you were to go back to basics with that product you were just not to look at what was out there you were to look at function and form and put these things together so that i had that kind of influence but the problem was is that their methodology their training did not prepare me to get a job. It should have. But you see, in those days, design, American design had to do with planned obsolescence. In other words, you just changed the cover on something. You didn't really get into a lot of research and development. So consequently, I was trained for Europe, not for America. So then it was on to grad school. I mean, what else? You can't get a job if you go on to grad school. Well, maybe not, but that's what I did. But then there was a test here. The test was, how is how am I going to continue to major in polar studies in graduate school? That's got to be tougher. Well, I designed my own program in graduate school, and I majored in film studies. Not too tough. I spent a lot of time in classrooms watching films. A lot of time in classrooms, watching a lot of films. But I had reports to do. I can remember doing a, uh, a report that I thought was somewhat effective. It was on um, the Jungle Book. <laughs> I actually went out and did some field work. I went to a kiddie's matinee, saw Jungle Book, and I noticed one thing about the film. I noticed that in their use of transitions, fade-outs, fade-in, fade fade-outs, transitions from scene to scene, they were using fade-outs going to black, and then coming back into the scene. And there were a lot of uses of that. And I noticed as that happened, the little kitties in front of me would say, turn to their moms and say, Is it over? Every time it would fade in, fade out. Analyzing films. Big stuff. (laughs) As a graduate student, as a graduate student, I was part of the film staff there and I filmed football highlights for Ohio State. Uh, they They didn't use video that much back then, film was still the deal. And we also filmed football practices, so I hung around the football team quite a bit, doing, again, doing their practices so they could analyze them and so on. And the coach at that time was a man named Woody Hayes. Now, some of you may not know of Woody Hayes, but if you've ever heard the phrase, you watch football three yards in a cloud of dust, that's Woody Hayes. Very conservative, very fundamental, very practicing oriented. Ohio State, I mean, they had plays like, uh, you know, well, Woody didn't care for the forward pass just to show you how conservative they were because of the three things that can happen in a forward pass, two are bad news. He recognized that. That's not good odds. Punting on third down was a kind of a regular play. Very conservative, but Ohio State won ball games. They never beat themselves, usually. That was back then. And it was these kinds of things, as I said, both in design. Here you have an individual who has a kind of a mentality for just getting through whatever it takes. But there were these influences that really impacted me, although I did not apply these things while I was in school. You know, we have a recent example along this line of the Winter Olympics. You have young people dedicated to their sport Doing the things that I've been talking about here, practicing, exercising, training to excel in what they do—very important. Now, what ought such qualities mean to us here? I mean, are we boob tubers or are we, you know, couch quarterbacks or whatever? But we Christians—what ought that to mean to us? Well, such qualities, as you know well know, are biblical. They definitely apply to us. Remember, as I read earlier, Paul said, let us run the race set with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. And though this race is temporal, it has eternal ramifications. And that being the case, a reasonable question might be, how are you personally preparing yourselves here at school to run in the race? What exercises are you doing? What fundamentals are you practicing? And how diligently are you practicing them? And to what end? What objective do you have in mind? You know, I would think being successful might be your answer. And I couldn't agree more. But let me give you my definition, a very basic and fundamental view that I have of success, whether it be in the marketplace or elsewhere. It's found in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, verse 5, where it is said that Enoch had this testimony. I'm quoting Enoch had this testimony. What was his testimony? That he pleased God. That he pleased God. There's a testimony. There's success. Now let me lay out for you what I think the basics are. Again, you see what I'm doing. I'm trying to get us back to some basics some fundamentals. Something to rethink if we've not... Apply them, not utilize them. Here are some basics, very basics for success. Ephesians 2 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what are these good works? And when you hear me refer to good works, I want you to go to that G in good and think grace. That's what I'm talking about. Grace works, good works. Okay? So there's no confusion. Matthew gives us the fundamental teaching. Matthew 22 verses 37 to four to 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You get that as fundamental? I mean it is the great commandment that's where we begin. You've been created to share in God's love. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and Mark adds, all your strength. That's why you've been created. But you've been created to share that love. That's what we're to do, to share that love with one another. Very basic, very fundamental. Ought to be practiced, ought to be exercised. Okay? Jesus said in John 14:15 If you love me keep my commandments. And this is his commandment that we should love I'm sorry that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. That's 1 John 3:20 3, 3:23. 20, 3, the apostle John 1 John 3:18 and 19 also wrote Little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. In deed and in truth. And assurance in doing those things, in practicing those things. You know, you're in a wonderful place right now. You've got to thank God for it every day, that you can be here. It's a Christian environment. And even more than that, it's a place that is a terrific resource for knowledge and training in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. The question is, though, has it become a training ground for you? If you're spending your years here and are not diligently putting into practice what you're learning as you are learning such things as James wrote you're only deceiving yourselves okay you know this is a post christian error i hope you know that i hope you recognize that and i'll go on it's even an anti christian error And by anti-Christian, I don't just mean that those who are militantly against you. I mean, you know, anti, one of the uses of the term, of the word anti, is a substitute, a false substitute. You know, I'll go even further. I think, and we can discuss this on Wednesday because I'll be talking a lot about it, I think we're in a time for overt preparation for the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, to be revealed. These are times in which training is critical, very necessary. You know, I could tell you the many people I know who have professed to believe in Christ in the industries that I've been involved with. And they've been shipwrecked. The seduction, the power, the influence, what especially the film industry, what it's all about, incredibly powerful. But for those of you who say, well, I'm not going into the film industry. The business world is just the same. Different in some ways, but still compelling. Challenging to your faith. To your practice of your faith. Okay? You know, in one way or another, things that do move, that do rule in the movie industry, will affect you. I can think of an actress, for example, who had a witness for Christ. She's somebody that you would know. And after a number of years, a couple of years, that witness was lost. And a friend of mine asked her, what happened to her witness for Christ? And her response was, well, it just didn't pan out. That's a sad thing. But it's a thing that you can see over and over again with people who have not practiced, put into exercise what their faith is all about. You know, if this were, if we were preparing for the Olympics, 1994, coming up two years, and this were training ground in Colorado Springs, you know what you'd be doing if you were a part of that. You'd be working at it, wouldn't you? How more so than being here, really working at and applying yourself? You know, in Colorado Springs, a polar mentality just won't cut it. Not in sports at that level. But how much more so the Christian life? The path of least resistance is not a biblical program. You don't find, and you know these well, you don't find that Joseph came to rule in Egypt the easy way. You don't find that Moses was given a shortcut to the Promised Land or that Paul was on a cruise line when he went to to Rome. But you do find that they were gloriously successful. And I mean gloriously successful. You know, some people think that They have problems with Christian schools because they say, "Well, yes, it's it's in a protected environment, but it doesn't really prepare you for what's out there, whether it be a grade school, a high school, a college." You know, and there's and that's, I believe, a legitimate concern, especially when there is little or no emphasis on encouraging the practice of righteousness. Now, I realize that I've been using these terms in my talk, such as practice, training, diligence, exercise, perseverance, and so forth. But so there's no misunderstanding about what these things, what I think these things ought to deal with. Let me give you a few examples, specific examples. Integrity. Do you practice integrity? Honesty? You know, I, I worked for Twentieth Century Fox for six years. And you learn in that business, I mean we're talking sharks and barracudas here. Cross the board, not just in filmmaking, but in distribution, exhibition, and so on. I mean, you gotta deal with the sharks and the barracudas. When I became a Christian, I got involved in Christian filmmaking. I got ripped. Why was that? Well, partly a naivete on my own part. I didn't expect it. Partly a naivete on the other side because you hear it, well, this is for the Lord. You know, there are changes in deals. There are changes in what's been promised. and so on. Now, I'm not going to pick on Christians, but I want you to know this, that you want to reflect your light and your life Practice these things. Integrity. How do you treat one another? Is the golden rule your continual practice? Or maybe you've stepped it up a bit. You know, loving others as Christ loved you. I hope so. I hope that's one of your exercises here. How you treat one another. How do you talk to one another? Do you make a practice of esteeming others more highly than yourselves? That's the emphasis of the Bible. Not self-esteem. It's how you treat one another. I went back to the basics, reading the Great Commandment, and then the Second Commandment. Do you practice that? Here's a one. What about sexual morality? Chastity. Do you make a practice of avoiding sexual temptations? Are you inclined, or are you inclined to flirt with temptations? Practice. Exercise. These things are critically important. They are your witness in the marketplace. You know, when pop athletes have weaknesses in their game, they often work overtime to correct such weaknesses. How much more then should we, Christians, work at overcoming our weaknesses related to godliness? You know... As I read earlier in Timothy, physical exercise is of some value, but godliness is profitable for all things. Success in the marketplace. I gave you one scripture, and I I, I hope you really dwell on that, meditate on that. This was... Enoch's testimony that he pleased God. I want you to enter into the marketplace with a behavioral pattern that reflects godliness. Not just you. I'm talking to myself here as well. Okay? That's our light. That's what we're to reflect. And by that light, you're going to be successful. Successful. But I'm going to qualify that. I guarantee you will be successful in God's eyes. It may not work out for you from the world's standpoint, but you're going to be successful. I'm going to. Fin- I want to <clears throat> just read a few more scriptures to underline this, and then we'll pray. I'm in Hebrews 11. Starting with verse 32. And I'm going to go all the way through to first two verses of 12. For what more shall I say? Now as I'm reading to this, I want you to think in terms of success. Here is success. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Also of David and Samuel and the prophets. And through who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Their success. Take that into the marketplace. But you know, you may have two people in the same organization, the same company, both practicing Christians, both committed to Jesus Christ, and one of them's moving up the ladder so fast. Wow! Must be the grace of God. Must be blessed. But you're going to have another individual there. Same commitment to Christ, but they are dumping on Him. seems that His witness, even though He's not doing it by word, but indeed... He's suffering for those. Why, why these two differences? I don't know, but God knows. Let me continue on and give you the other side of success. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. Remember, Paul's most successful work came when he was in chains and in prison. I'm not looking forward to that. But I'm looking forward to being successful in the eyes of the Lord. Others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And of all these, having obtained a good testimony, through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us that they should be made perfect, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Chapter 12, Therefore, seeing we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of god be encouraged these are exciting times these are dangerous times these are troublesome times. But God's Word says, where evil abounds, grace doth more abound. And God's grace is there. But we've got to do our part. We've got to be diligent. We've got to have a heart for that. And God will provide the grace to enable you. Again, you're in a wonderful place here. But make it a training ground a place that you practice what you're learning and that you apply what you're learning and that you reflect what you're learning. As Dave said earlier, not just in your career orientation, but in your walk with the Lord because you can't separate those two things. Let's pray. Father, we do... Just come before you, Lord, and just thank you for the privilege of being alive in this time, in this hour. I believe it's a time, Lord, where your your coming is so close, Lord. It is a time, Lord, that is troublesome, but Lord, there's nothing too difficult for you. It's a time in which each and every one of us are privileged to be used of you, Lord. And Lord, we do confess our inadequacy. Lord, we confess our falling short of the mark in so many things, Lord. But we know you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We know that when we stumble and fall, that you're right there to pick us up, to get us going again. It's wonderful, Lord, that we're your children and can start each day new and afresh, even when we try to practice things, Lord, and fail. Lord, we get up new day afresh to start these things over and to begin. Lord, encourage us, help us to be prepared to enter into the marketplace. Well, maybe even before that, Lord, to, to finish this race here in school. To finish the race, Lord, in a way that that pleases you and that it does equip us for the for what you prepared for us, as we've read in your scriptures, for what lies ahead, Lord God. So I pray, Lord, as we leave here this morning, this is Monday and a a beginning, a new start, Lord. I pray that this week and the week of speakers and so forth would the time together, Lord, I pray that it might be a time of renewal, recommitment, enthusiasm, Lord God, for doing the good work by grace that you have called us to. And it's to that end we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.